Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Across the world, we've seen conservative and some so-called progressive leaders take pot shots at trans people for their own political gain. So how are trans people fighting back? This Changemaker Chat is with Jackie Turner. Jackie is a trans woman based in Australia. She's a long-time social justice and climate campaigner who's now turning her attention to building a trans justice movement led by the trans and gender diverse community. Today we talk about why this movement is needed in Australia. She explains how in the United Kingdom, fringe anti-trans feminists, so-called TERFs, meaning trans-exclusionary radical feminists, and anti-trans extremism in the United States are creating a political climate where trans people everywhere need to get better organised. She reflects on the legacy of trans leaders from across generations and how today trans and gender diverse communities are exploring particular movement strategies to build new forms of power. Most movingly, she talks about how working with her community has given her fresh eyes on change-making strategy. The trans movement in Australia is building, and you can support that movement, including by providing a donation. You can find out more about Jackie's work called the Trans Justice Project, and you can make a financial donation to that work by going to chuff.org, and the website for the donations is linked in our show notes. There is plenty in this episode for trans leaders, but equally there's plenty for people wanting to better understand how to ally with the trans community. So, let's go. I'm Amanda Tattersall. Welcome to Changemaker Chats, conversations with people changing the world. Changemakers also produces episodes that are feature stories about social change campaigns. Changemakers is supported by the Sydney Policy Lab at the University of Sydney. They break down barriers between researchers, policymakers, and community campaigners so we can build change together. Check them out at sydney.edu.au backslash policy lab. You can find out more about Changemakers on our website where you can also sign up to our email list. It's changemakerspodcast.org. Hello, Jackie. Hello. Welcome to Changemakers. <laughs> Great. Thanks for having me. It is my absolute pleasure. I'm really looking forward to this episode. I'm looking forward to not only getting to know you better, but also learning a little bit about this new exciting movement that you're going to be talking about today. So let's start, as we always do, with you explaining to me and, and, our, and our audience, what kind of change maker are you? What do you do to make change in the world? I've always been a big organising nerd, and so I got obsessed with organising and being a part of um, organisations that were doing organising from when I was about 23, when I got involved in a student group on my 
campus that was, you know, working to try and stop the Carmichael mine, the Adani mine, going ahead. And that's kind of where I fell in love with it. I really enjoyed working with young people. I really enjoyed working with leaders who are looking for a way to make a difference in the world. And, you know, being able to, I guess, be a part of that journey for them, guiding them on the way to find out what's, you know, going to be their strength and passion and, and those sorts of things. But in the years since, I've really become obsessed with movement building. And a big part of that was when Kenny McChesney from the Sunrise Movement, me and some other folks brought her over a few years back to do momentum training. And I think that was a real culmination of, it felt like a real coming together of lots of things that I was learning in my work about mobilising and the potential of big organising and directed network campaigning, but then also how you can mix that together with you know, strong local power and relationships and empowering local leaders. Okay, right. So there's a lot of buzzwords in that oh, <laughs> in, in, in that description, which is fantastic. Some of our audience will be knowing exactly what you mean when you say organiser or directed network yeah. or momentum, and some of our people will be going, "A what?" You know. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna get. We, I'm gonna. We're gonna get some more time to get into some of that description later, because part of what we're going to be talking about is a strategy to build a movement today. So we're gonna have plenty. So just. Listeners out there, if you're not sure about some of those words, do not worry. We are going to unpack and explore their power momentarily. But, but Jackie, you know, I think you need to tell our audience that that's not the only form of... It's not just about organising anywhere that you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now in terms of making change. Well, yes. Yeah, so I am working to build Australia's first national campaigning organisation for and led by trans people. And we will be working towards uh, building, connecting, training a powerful movement of trans and gender diverse people standing up for justice and equality. Yeah, wow. So, yeah, our, our um, you know, we've been watching what's happening in the US and the UK with the waves of transphobic hate. And we know that it's a matter of time before that starts to come here to Australia. And many of the groups that are overseas are already setting up here. And we know that there's a need for an organisation that can can lead the defence against those attacks. Yep, yep. And led by four trans people. That's right, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) so so important to put that that at the centre of this movement. Mm. Don't do for others what they can do for themselves and all of that. Now, so there's two parts. I see two parts. You're an organiser, a movement builder. You know, you're a social change expert and you're you're a trans woman. You're leading this movement, applying those skills to that. So what I would like you to do for for me, right, is <laughs> like you've already explained some of your story, your, some of your activist story in terms of how you started getting involved in organising. I'm interested in you even going further back as to why you think organising tapped you on the shoulder in the first place to wh- whatever points in your life that you think are, are interesting. Like why... Why are you doing this? Where, where are the? Are there any beats in your past that have uh, been turning points for you where you've realised, I, I, I need to make this kind of change, and this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, I think I've always been motivated by social justice and inequality. I came from a family where both my parents were unionists. I also grew up in an area that was really affected by the Brisbane floods, and it was one of the first times that I came sort of face-to-face with the impacts of climate change. And so for me, seeing people at the bottom of streets uh, be totally inundated with water and the people at the top of the streets be totally fine, you know, it's such a dramatic display of inequality, right? And then, you know, in the days after that flood, the insurance companies actually refused to 
pay out lots of the people who um, had lost everything. So for me, it was one of the first times that it had really brought home for me just how much you know climate change, which I was campaigning on at the time, was not just an environmental issue, it was a social justice issue, and how everything I'd learnt from, from growing up was going to be playing out in whatever crisis faced us in the future, those same inequalities were going to be mm-hmm. exacerbated. So I think I was looking for a way to make a difference in the world and wasn't really sure how to do it. I thought that social media might be away for a while and so <laughs> became an avid tweeter. Um, and then eventually I found a group that wanted to give people real responsibility. And I think in the end that's what I was really looking for, was someone to call on me to actually step up and do something more than just sign a petition. Like I wanted to I wanted to do something that, that mattered, that felt like I was bringing people together and changing the changing the world as it is. Yeah. So that's really exciting. So actually in some ways you be, were your love of this idea of organizing, you know, which mm. is about building leadership in others came because you wanted that for yourself, right? Like mm. you you tell us about I mean, to talk a little bit about this disconnect, you know, there, there, is, there are these mobilising organisations, you know, digital organisations where you can sign a petition and so forth. Someone does the mm-hmm. thinking for you and asks you to take an action. And then there's this idea of organising, which, mm-hmm. is, which is much more about going, people do for themselves, right? Mm-hmm. They can take leadership. Why do you think that that appealed? Like, where, tell us a little bit about yeah. that journey. I think for me, and I, I think lots of um, people I've talked to have a similar thing where they kind of have an internal theory of change, you know, about like whatever job they're doing at the time or whatever, it kind of fits into this thing that they have at the centre of them. And for me, I I want people to be able to have power over the decisions that affect their lives. And that may mean being active participants in democracy. It may mean... Where do you think that comes from for you? <laughs> like, just you know, where do you, I mean, was it from the floods and seeing when things got out of control? Like, yeah, where do you think I that think, comes from? you know, I went on a, a journey as a high schooler being sort of radicalised punk music and uh, anarchist politics. So uh, <laughs> I had like a DIY band and all that sort of stuff. But um, so I think I felt really disillusioned growing up. And like, obviously, I was also growing up around the same time as like the... Globalize uh, the sort of anti-globalization mm-hmm. movement. So, like a general malaise with um, not only like global capitalism, but also the power of governments to actually protect people. And so, I found more faith in looking to everyday people and. Um, how we could work together to secure our rights and futures. Yeah, and what you're describing also when you said that your parents were unionists, I guess you've the idea that people could fight and make change, that they could push for change, wasn't a, it wasn't a surprise, mm. you know, that that mm. could be a response to if governments are useless, that, totally. that people could do something. Yeah, my, my mum was a member of uh, Queensland Teachers Union. Oh, uh, excellent so union. Go, we, Mum. <laughs> we went to, you know, the teachers, uh, you know, marched in the teachers' block for the um, anti-Iraq war protests and those sorts of things. So I think I had been taught from a young age that politics is something that you need to do publicly. Mm, yeah. mm. That's that's really powerful stuff. And so you've done lots, right? You, do, you talked earlier, you know, you, you then dug into the question of, okay, so it's firstly, it's about trying to build leadership and organising mm. and being active. And then you, it sounded like you went on a massive journey <laughs> to try and work out well, which mode of building movements and making change works best. Mm. Like, what did you learn through that experience? Like, what did it teach you? Yeah, I think I um, learnt and failed a lot. Um, well, that's, <laughs> so that's how we learn, that's isn't good. it? Like, yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think what I'm learning now is is a real culmination of the experience of, you know, the last however many years is that, 
I'm really coming back to, you know, I think one of the things that I really wanted out of organizing was to find a home, right? It's like finding community, finding togetherness, finding people who, yeah, find comradeship with or something like that, you know? So I think coming back to working with a constituency that, you know, obviously I relate to deeply working with trans people and gender diverse people has meant a whole lot to me and has changed a lot of how I've thought about how organizing and mobilizing needs to be done. I think. Wow. Um, we are going to get into this, my friend. <laughs> wow. <laughs> ha- tell us more. Yeah, I think I'm still unpacking a lot of it and, and learning as I go along. But it's meant a lot to me to actually be a part of a community of people and to be accountable to those people in a way beyond just, oh, you're their organizer and this is a local group. But actually, that our, you know, our fates are intertwined and our interests are all intertwined as well. So I think there's that, but then there's also um, having a really genuine shared vision for the future. Like I think we often talk about it in other campaigns that I've been in in the past. I felt like it's been, we want to paint a picture for people and it's felt nice, but it hasn't felt that deep sense of yearning that makes you sacrifice and will make you do whatever's necessary to bring it about. You know what I mean? Mm. I, I think... Um, Almost a spiritual connection or a sense yeah. of deep, deep, unabiding purpose that links to the work. Yeah, I think that's right, yeah. So you found that in this? Uh, yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure what else to say about that. I'm still unpacking it all, I think. it's It's been, um, you know, I've really only been organising in the space for the last year and a half and sort of have been talking and researching for the last two or so. So I'm still very much, you know, weaving my way through it and building my understanding of my place here. Yeah. And before we get into a discussion of all this brilliant work that you're doing, Sorry, which yes. do not worry, listeners, <laughs> we are going to get there. I just, I want to, I just, you, you, you said that it's made you look back on and re- reimagine and look, look back on movement building and giving you a different mm. take on movement building. And you mentioned the accountability piece, mm. like as opposed to being just accountable to a random group of people, it's like, your people and mm, mm. and actually if we don't win we, get, we we live with the consequences of how the work mm, works mm. right and i think that that's incredibly powerful is it and this and the sort of sense of deep meaning that mm. comes from the work i won't make you use the word spiritual <laughs> i use you use your words but i want were there any are there any other like sort of burbling insights that are coming up i think it's been really interesting moving into you know, I, I cut my teeth in the climate movement, right, where there's a lot of established movement infrastructure already is primarily set up as a social movement, you know, to grow and scale. There are so many different roles that are being filled. I think one of the big things that has struck me about um, moving into campaigning on trans rights issues is that we just don't have a lot of those resources, you know, like there's not the kinds of think tanks that you have for these other issues and the resourcing and those sorts of things. And health organisations are really the backbone of our community. It's They're the ones who are providing support and services to folks and have been for decades, but they're also the ones who are doing advocacy a lot of the times. And so they're forced into this role, right? And one of the things that's been really difficult, especially since you know the federal election with everything that happened there, is that every and time... And this has been just for overseas oh, yeah. listeners who might be listening. Everything that happened there in the federal election, do you want to unpack that for us, Jane? There was a transphobic campaigner who was uh, put on a pedestal by the media for um, the length of the campaign. 
and it sort of divulged into a huge discussion about trans people and their rights and was yeah really hard for lots of uh, members of the community to deal with. It's moments like that where advocacy is needed most, where health organisations and service delivery organisations are totally inundated with people needing help. So it's a really difficult situation to deal with. Is it difficult, I mean, for organisations that receive government funding to do some of the harder edge advocacy as well? Is that part of the challenge? Or is is it more just if you're doing a lot of service stuff, how do you have time for advocacy? Like, what what dynamics do you see? I think it's a bit of both, but also just not having the kind of people power movement behind them that can do, that can show up, do tactics, you know, really um, go into bat for um, our community. It's like it's a perfect segue, Jackie. Perfect segue because let's let's talk now about about this movement that you are helping to build across the community. So let's start with like the problem question: like, why would why <laughs> would we need a movement like this, especially a movement for, led for and by trans people? Yeah, I wish we didn't. Um, <laughs> for a bit of background. I think here might be good. So over the last few years, there's been a steady escalation of anti-trans hate around the world, particularly in the UK and the US is where it's been really pronounced. So in the US, we've seen largely an activation of the far right, flooding state legislatures with anti-trans bills. These bills are focused on uh, undermining trans people's access to healthcare. They have also focused on excluding trans people from public space, public participation um, in society, like in sports and bathrooms. And uh, the latest shift has been really to, you know, attack the broader LGBT community as well. So with the drag bans um, that are happening now and the don't say gay laws, which basically restrict in what context people can talk about being LGBT. So that's happening in the US. We've also just had Trump do his do a large announcement about his candidacy for the next election. And he's basically proposing a plan to eliminate trans people from the US. So he will make it impossible for people to access transition services. He will charge doctors who treat patients. He will also revoke people's like identification, these sorts of things that entitles them to protection from discrimination. Wow. All I didn't realise it was so extreme. It's like elimination. Yeah. It's, it's a campaign of elimination, for sure. It's, um, it is a full-blown war on, on trans people that is being used as a Trojan horse to attack not only the broader LGBT community, but then also women and, you know, whatever minority comes after that, Yeah, right? yeah. Well, we, there's a precedent around first they came for someone, right? Totally, totally. And they're being aided and abetted by what's called the TERF movement, so uh, the trans-exclusionary radical feminists. So basically this is an old um, movement within uh, feminism split off a long time ago that basically sees trans people as an existential threat to, to women and sees transness as a, a mental illness and a perversion and, you know, all, all those sorts of yeah. things. But basically those two movements are working hand in hand with each other. We know that, for instance, the Heritage Foundation, you know, a big right-wing think tank in the US, gave thousands of dollars to WOLF, the Women's Liberation Front. And that organisation also got money from the Alliance Defending Freedom, which I don't know if you can tell from the name, is, uh, <laughs> is a kind of um, far-right conversion therapy, ex-gay sort of organisation. So they're all working hand-in-hand together to eliminate, uh, try and eliminate trans people. So then in the UK, we're seeing quite quite different, actually, campaigns. And it's one of the things that's so interesting about it is that really led by the far right in the US, really led by the turf movement in the UK. So it's been 
interesting watching it since there's been lots of prominent, you know, otherwise progressive women who have sort of led the call on anti-trans politics in the UK. And they've basically gone about systematically undermining all of the key institutions that support trans people's lives. So there's the Tavistock Gender Clinic, Mermaids, which does basically support for young people in suicide prevention. And then there's Stonewall, which does... Uh, they were targeted largely because they do like inclusion, uh, inclusion policies and like inclusion standards for organisations. Basically, they've just gone through these organisations one by one um, to not only delegitimise trans people in the minds of the public and re-narrativise us as something wrong and ill, but then also kind of link all these organisations to some sort of nefarious like oh um, conspiracy to, to control people. So... The end result of that has been a huge rise in hate crimes in the UK. In 2019, there was an 81% increase in the reportings of hate crimes, and that's continued to increase. Um, Last year, there was a 50% increase on the year before. And also, we're now seeing the effect that uh, anti-trans lobbyists are having undue influence on the government. Um, So basically, we're seeing a kind of state capture of government, basically, by anti-trans lobbyists. The most recent example of that is that there was a conversion ban proposed. I think Johnson was still in when it was proposed, but basically conversion conversion practices are a a form of torture as defined by the UN that seeks to get to change or uh, cure someone's sexuality or you know, sexual orientation or gender identity. So it's pretty, you know, widely supported. Like a bunch of states in Australia have conversion bans or are talking about conversion bans. But basically what the lobbyists did was lobby the government to make sure that trans people were excluded from that ban so that services that were, um, that they were trying to shop around basically could still, in inverted commas, service people, right? So um, there's a whole sort of medical disinformation movement out there that, you know, I could go into, but... Maybe we can, can put see, some of the yeah. links <laughs> uh, links on the website for yeah. people, but... But you can see the effect there of the... that both these countries have basically um, been totally captured by transphobia. And so it's, it, I think it's fascinating that the experiences are significant but really politically different because it shows mm. that there's not one way that this can work. It's, and we look to Australia, right? So this we're recording this podcast in mm. Sydney, Australia. This is where you're building a, a, a local trans movement. I guess before we talk about what you're going to do, like what are the possible threats and things that you're concerned about? Like what invo- what is the na- what is the context and environment into which you're trying to build here? There's been a few things on my mind. One of them is that the trans movement in Australia is really unprepared and misunderstood. So we don't have the kind of movement infrastructure that the opponents have. You know, they're wielding a whole bunch of think tanks, a whole bunch of money. It's a really unfair fight, basically. Trans people are sort of three to four percent of the population. And, you know, we're going up against these behemoths, basically. The other thing is that although there's really strong support in Australia, about 78 percent of Australians believe that trans people should have equal rights as everyone else which is great. Is Why do you so think that's so high? Because, I mean, that is so awesome, right? Like, I think, Yeah, I think there's a few parts to it. I think one thing is there is, I think there's a general Australian vibe when people are asked a question like that, where they're like, sure, I don't care. You know what I mean? <laughs> you mean the so, fact that we're so lackadaisical? Yeah. Yeah, I we'll love them. That's fine. That's fine, whatever. <laughs> yeah, as long as it's not something too extreme. I think then it kind of meets with, uh, you know, what we see in the data is then 
when it comes to specific situations, people might have different feelings about it and have, you know, some question or understanding gaps and those sorts of things. So mm-hmm. there's actually just a huge job of education and exposure to do with the Australian public about what it means to be trans and I guess why people are trans. You know, obviously nobody knows, but um, people have lots of theories out there. Uh, well, so, so pe- people's stories you know, speak uh, to at least some of it, right? Yeah. Rather than like yeah. we don't need to have a gene or a sort of medical story, it can be a human story. Yeah, yeah. I just mean it's yeah. like, you know, I think that's the first question lots of people have. It's like, oh, but why? You know, right, like, right, yeah, right. like in the early days of when people were first exposed to, you know, gay people or mm. lesbians or whatever. So I think that's two big things. And I think people in Australia don't quite realise yet that this is going to be a, a big issue. Yeah. So civil society as a whole really needs to come together around it because how the movement has thrived in other places is by splitting organisations and movements. So the whole point is to split the LGBT movement, is to split the women's movement, you know, any way they can so that they basically break the traditional power bases of, you know, that trans people would rely on for survival. So it's really important that civil society actually takes a really firm stance on this stuff early, both to start doing that cultural work of teaching people in the organisation about why this is important um, and who trans people are, but also so that they start working through some of those questions before the attacks from the media and those sorts of things really start to escalate. And I mean, you know, I, I, we look forward to future elect- elections, you know, um, mm. just because the candidate and the, and the campaign that Morrison ran around, mm, mm. around trans issues didn't go anywhere doesn't mean they won't try it again. Yeah, you know. I think... You know, the anti-trans movement really thrives on disinformation. So we've seen this with climate change already, that it doesn't matter necessarily if people believe it in the month-long, two-month-long campaign of the election. It matters whether they believe it in three years' time. Mm. And what we're trying to do is get to a place where, you know, in three, four, five years' time, we've done enough work that there's enough understanding out there that we've, you know, inoculated people against that disinformation. So, okay, so... So let's talk about what that's yeah, going to sure. take, right? So you're 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 building a movement, right? Tell us tell us some of the elements and and features of this of the movement that's going to be able to have the sort of power to to, to do the work that you see is needed. Yeah, well, I think there's you know obviously many of the elements you talk about on this show, right? So it's like there's a real need for training and building up trans leadership in the space and building up particularly like young campaigners who can you know take up this mantle, especially within organisations that are already established too, not necessarily just you know out in the community, but making sure that organisations are coming on board. So there's that work, but then there's also a whole bunch of strategy work to do. There's a bunch of, you know, coordination, you know, meetings, all those sorts of things. But I think the thing that I'm really excited about is bringing people together under big shared campaigns, you know, starting to get people singing from the same strong sheet so that we're actually building a vision together for what the world looks like, you know, after these attacks are over. Mm, and that sounds particularly, like you just you mm. say, 5% of the population, a small group of people, mm. possibly fit at some level isolated from from each other, you know? Mm, like, mm. I mean, I guess, is, how, to what extent is actually just building a, a more connected community amongst people? Who, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Yeah, totally. And trans people are really isolated in our communities and the health organisations have done a really incredible job of providing spaces where people can come together. You know, it is really hard when you're dealing with discrimination in all these kinds of ways to 
not feel like you're the problem. And so bringing people together into a shared struggle is a really great way of just getting people to feel their power and uh, you know and and you know have people tell them that they're they're fine you know and i think you know so much of our lives as trans people is trying to not be in imposition on others and trying to not attract the attention of others so it's you know it goes against a lot of the community's instincts to i think go out strong saying here's what we believe here's what we stand for here's what we deserve but i think that's what we have to do right that's a, i mean i hadn't thought of it like that like because to be trans is it's is it's visible, right? Yeah. You, it's visible, like you know, a different identity, like my mental health is invisible, yeah. and I, you know, and and each whether your identity is visible or invisible makes a real difference to what life is like as a person, and then what life is like and what it means to be political. Mm. And I can see what you're saying about challenge that it is when you're visible and you're and you're not, and, pe- and people sometimes great against your mm, visibility. Mm. Now, I think also of Muslim women wearing a hijab during September 11, right? Like, mm. the, it's hard to be political at those times, but it's actually why we need you to be... Why, why you need to be political, because it's the only way to solve the problem, right? Totally, and I think it's... This is... We're in the safest time, or, I don't know, we've had the most rights we've ever had, you know? I think it depends where you live, right, But and your own circumstance, but we've had the most rights and recognition that we've ever had in society before, what we're facing now is a real backlash to that. And it's good to contextualise it in that way because, you know, it's been really bloody dangerous to be trans for a really, really long time. And up until recently, the the thing was is that you, you know, hoped that you could transition and remain stealth, which basically meant that you didn't tell anyone that you were trans. You never, you know, you deleted your old past, you left your family, whatever you had to do so that you could go off and live another life. And, you know, because of our elders who fought and, you know, many of them died to win that right, win those rights and recognition. We don't have to do that anymore, you know, and that's, that's a huge journey to have come on. Wow. They're huge shoulders to stand on. <laughs> Gosh, I've, you've given me goosebumps. <laughs> yeah, because it's actually a long movement, you know. It, mm. you're, you, you're building an, a sort of organisational structure around for, for, for trans people, but, but actually this space is a very long one. You know, oh, 100%. I don't have all the answers, obviously. I'm, I, you know, I see the movement building work so much about just creating the space for the leaders to step up and you know, take the good ideas forward, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to just explore this, you know, what, is, what responsibility sits on people like me, right? Mm. So I'm a cis woman, mm. you know, an ally, I'm not a turf, you know what I mean? Cheapers <laughs> creepers. I don't know where they, what turn they took, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, what, you know, for individuals like me, yeah. individuals who are listening, and in particular, even more so, I actually think, because this is collective action, you know, mm, people, mm. individuals are nice, but organisations and groups are, bi- are even more powerful. What are the kinds of things that civil society and uh, organisations and then to what extent individuals can do? How can we be good allies in this space? There are a bunch of things. I think one of the things that I've been talking about for a few years is making sure that workplaces, the workplaces you're in, have gender affirmation policies and have really clear policies around, uh, you know, how they deal with discrimination and bullying in the workplace, particularly as it pertains to trans people. Lots of places do not have that set up. It's a really important thing to get in place, even if you don't have any trans people there right now. 
Because yeah, hopefully you might in the future, right? Well, 100%. And, there's, and then you might not have yeah. trans people because you don't have the trans policies, right? Well, also because, you know, the, the, the upside of it being so much more acceptable to be trans now is that there's lots of people coming out a lot younger, which is really great, you know? So people are probably going to have trans young people in their workplaces. And so, you know, it's good to get ready ahead of them. But I think... The other thing is just making sure that you have that stuff set in stone so that when these attacks are happening down the line, you've already had the conversations in a safer environment rather than having to yes. do it once you've got a anti-trans person in the workplace and having to work it out there. Yes, yes. Um, Conversations outside of a crisis. (laughs) Relationships before action. Yes. That's a very practical one. I think, obviously, you know, familiarising yourself, there's um, great resources resources out there. There's one called TransHub people can find that has some great 101 pages and those sorts of things. You know, it goes a long way just to have some basic understanding about what it means to be trans and, like, you know, basic terminology and and those sorts of things. And even if it's just questions not to ask and those sorts of things. Mm. I think the other thing is actually starting to chat with your friends and colleagues about the stuff that is happening in the US and the UK. People don't realise how imminent this threat is and people don't realise how bad it is. We're going to start having a situation where people aren't just fleeing red states in the US, where they're fleeing the US entirely to come to Australia and other places. I think it's really important that we start preparing the groundwork for that. And like, I'm going to be running some conversations trainings and those sorts of things in the future for people looking for a way that they can start having those conversations. Yeah, anything you can do to increase the understanding of the people around you about what's happening and what's at stake is really great. And I think the final thing is resources, is, is, is money. We're just really under-resourced um, as a sector. I think anywhere where you can be donating that's trans-led is hugely appreciated. Can you give an example of something could throw money towards Jackie? Don't so, you know something? Yeah, so at the time of this re- release of this podcast, I will have launched a, a crowdfunder for the Trans Justice Project, which is the organisation that I'm launching. That's w- w- What's the name of it again? <laughs> the Trans Justice Project. The Trans Justice Project. Yeah, okay. Yeah. You, so, I, mean, I guess you could Google that, couldn't you? Yeah, you could Google that. <laughs> so we're seeking seed funding to um, start the organisation up to you know pay for salary and mobilizations and administration and getting all these things in place so that we can start, yeah, like, you know, fighting this fight, right? So anything people can do to to share that, donate what they can would be much appreciated, particularly if you can reach out beyond the, you know, my circles um, with people with larger followings, much appreciated. Yeah, yeah. And and I'm also thinking that, I mean, another thing that people could do is connect trans friends if they Mm. have trans friends or colleagues or family members to the project, you know, yeah, is, 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 yeah. this is now a space that's it's bless the health space, but it's not just a health service space, but this mm. is a this is a political space for trans people to that's come right. and organise and make change in their name that makes their their world and all of our world better. Totally, and that's right. And you know, one of the things that I'm really excited about, to, going back to the beginning of our conversation as well, is you know we get to build this movement together and get to learn together as a community how we want to do it. It's pretty special to walk into a space where there's kind of no dominant organisation already doing, you know, organising at scale. So we kind of get to set the culture and make the rules and all those sorts of things. So, yeah, it's going to be a really exciting time. 
That is so fantastic. Now, before we go, I, I mean, I, I was going to ask you about reflections, but actually you've shared so much. So I'm actually going to ask you instead, okay, cast your mind forward, Jackie. It's mm. five years from now and things have gone and things are good. Mm. Things have gone well. It's not been easy, right? It's been contested, mm. but you're standing in a good place. What does it look like? Yeah, that's um, a great question. I, I've seen a lot of discourse in the last few months about people talking about trans issues as if they're kind of wishy-washy, kind of symbolic politics. And for me, trans issues are really bread and butter issues like homelessness and poverty and unemployment and, you know, domestic or family violence, you know, these sorts of things that are you know, really core to our experience of just living our our day-to-day lives, right? I would like to see that there's much fewer trans people who are experiencing homeless. We know that homelessness, we know that one in five trans young people at the moment experiences homelessness, you know, one in five, which is just crazy, right? And our rates of unemployment are three times the national average. We suffer discrimination even when there are laws there to protect us. We know that the only thing that is going to change that is us moving society to a different place. And, yeah, that's, that's the job ahead of us. I hope that for young people coming through that it's going to be a hell of a lot easier to come out, you know, a lot easier to get the care that they need. They're going to have to be a lot less scared about talking to their parents, but also know that they can live a full life where, you know, they're not going to be held back because of their gender. I hope we get there too. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds fantastic. Thank you for coming on and Thank you best for of me. luck. It's just so wonderful. Congratulations. Changemakers is hosted by me, Amanda Tattersall. Remember to subscribe to this podcast to catch all of our episodes. This is Series 7, so there's plenty to be inspired by in our back catalogue. You can find out more about the trans movement in Australia and learn about Jackie on Twitter and Mastodon at Jackie May Turner, and it's Jackie with a K-I-E. The fundraiser for the Trans Justice Project is on chuff.org, and we've linked the website in the show notes. Our digital producer at Changemakers is Lachlan Hodson. Our audio producer is Jules Walker. Our series sponsor is the Sydney Policy Lab at the University of Sydney. They break down barriers between researchers, policymakers, and community campaigners so we can build change together. Check them out at sydney.edu.au backslash policy dash lab. Like us on Facebook at Changemakers Podcast. We're on Twitter at Changemakers99 and I'm on Twitter at Amanda Tats with two Ts. Check out changemakerspodcast.org for transcripts and updates on all of our stories. And don't forget to take a look at the video content of our organising school if you want to take a deeper dive into the art of changemaking.